being here. Welcome again to Christian Fellowship. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at CF, and I just very much appreciate you coming and joining us this morning. Uh, today we are going to be in Acts 2, Acts 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. And if you're using that Bible, you're looking for page 909. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have like a stack of them, you know, one in your car, one at home, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible that's in the seat back around you. Please um, take it home. We love giving Bibles away, so please keep that. So if you are using that Bible, as I said, you'll get to page 909. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And as you turn in there, I'd like to thank. So every week, we, um, for the last year, uh, a little over a year now, we've been doing a read through the Bible plan as a church. We're calling it our hashtag two-year journey. Where we've been reading through the Bible six days a week, two chapters every day. And every day, when, every Sunday when you come in, uh, you receive the bulletin with all kinds of announcements, good information, and then there's also um, that booklet that has two reflections on it. So different members of our congregation write those reflections every week. They read ahead, they read ahead, they pick passages that stick out to them, they pick passages that mean something to them, and they write a little brief reflection, just something to help you think as you're reading through the two-year journey. It helps you think, helps you get an idea of saying, you know what, there's other people doing this with me, eh? And it helps you just kind of think through some of those passages. And so everybody that's written, thank you so much for doing that. They, like I said, they read ahead. They get those in every week. They have to deal with me constantly sending texts and asking them to read because the Bible is a big book. Um, and so thank you, everybody. If that's something that interests you, if you'd like to write a reflection, you'd like to try it out once, please uh, let me know. You can um, make a note on your Connect card and draw, drop that in the offering plate, and I'd be happy to get in contact with you. We love getting more and more people involved with that. So uh, if you've done it, thank you. If you're interested, please let us know. Um, so like I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be closing out our series this morning, with uh, Work in Progress, Learning from the Apostle Peter. So we've been looking at the life of Peter since he was called by Jesus to be a fisher of men, and we've been able to identify ourselves with Peter. We've called Peter our everyman, that he is this work in progress, just like we are works in progress. And that we've seen over and over again that God can take someone like Peter, someone like us, and even though we aren't a finished product, God can still use us and will use us for great things. So Jesus called Peter the rock, right? That's what Peter means. Cephas means rock. And after the resurrection, after Jesus shows up, Jesus eventually had to leave, right? He, he was resurrected. He showed up to his disciples. He showed up to large crowds. But eventually he had to leave. He had to go home. He had to go back to heaven where he belonged. And before he left, he told his followers, preach the gospel. Baptize people in my name. Be my witnesses throughout the world. And then he leaves. And now Peter and the rest of the disciples and the rest of the followers of Christ have to figure out, now what? How do we do this? How do we live life? How do we go back to normal life without Jesus? How do we do what he told us to do? And that's what really the book of Acts is. The, the full title is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story. It's looking at how these guys figure out how to be Christians. How do we do this new relationship with Jesus thing even though he's not here? And so this morning as we close out this series, we're going to look at three different instances of Peter trying to be the rock that he is called to be, trying to just live out. What does it mean to be a Christian in light of what I've experienced in knowing Jesus and seeing him die and seeing him resurrected? How do I do this now? So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into Acts 2. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for another opportunity to Worship to sing your praises, to gather together and fellowship and encourage one another. Lord, we pray that you be merciful to us. 
Be merciful as we seek refuge in the shadow of your wings. Lord, we cry out to you, to the one who carries out your purposes in us. We cry out to you. Lord, though some of us this morning, we come in in the midst of hardship. We come in feeling like we are surrounded and overwhelmed. We ask that you be exalted in us and through us. We ask that you show up here this morning. Lord, you have a message for us this morning. You have something you want us to hear this morning. So I pray, Lord, that we are able to have soft ears, that we are able to have soft hearts, open hearts, to hear from you this morning. As I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to start, we're going to jump in in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Scripture a lot this morning. So if you, like I said, if you have a Bible, open it up because we're going to be jumping around a bunch. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, right at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Panas and Asia, Phygra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear, from, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. So the day of Pentecost comes. The day of Pentecost is it's literally the day 50 days after Passover. It was a celebration of the first of the harvest, really. And it's a big deal celebration for the Jews. This is one of their four major celebrations throughout the year. And so many people would come to Jerusalem and stay. They'd come for Passover, and then they'd stay all the way through Pentecost. And so while these people are gathered together, it says the Holy Spirit shows up. And the disciples start to talk about the gospel, the mighty works of God. They talk about Jesus. And every person heard them speak in their own language. There was no translators needed. So it would be like if I was preaching right now, and if you only spoke Spanish, you would hear me speaking Spanish. If you only spoke French, you'd hear me only speaking in French. If you only spoke Klingon, you would only hear me speaking in Klingon. And so they're confused and bewildered and says, how is this happening? Well, it's happening because the Holy Spirit will accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. Some said, nah, they're just drunk. Because usually at these festivals, God said, when God gave a command to celebrate at a festival, he said, party and party hard. And so oftentimes at these festivals, the wine would be flowing. And so they said, nah, these guys are just drunk. And so Peter stands up. Peter stands up, and the first thing he says is like, look, it's 9 a.m. Nobody's drunk here. Nobody hits it that hard here. And so Peter begins to preach. Now what we know of Peter is he has no formal training. He's not a Pharisee. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Bible college. This is Peter. This is blue-collar, fisherman, impulsive, says what the first thing that comes to his mouth, ask questions later, Peter. And so he begins to preach. And first thing he does is he quotes the prophet Joel. And it's a prophecy about the very moment that was happening. Look at verse 17. 
says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. He's quoting a prophecy about that very moment. The next thing he does is he just talks about Jesus. He tells them facts about Jesus. Skip down to verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He says, this Jesus, you saw him, you knew, you heard You experienced him. He was God, and he died. But then God raised him up again. He was unlawfully crucified, but was raised from the dead. Peter's just saying what he knows. And after that, he quotes more scripture. He quotes the Psalms of David. And then he wraps things up in verse 36. And he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter preaches and says, look, we knew this was coming. They prophesied about it. Prophets hundreds of years ago told us about this moment. Jesus told us this was coming. And so how do the people respond? The crowd and Peter respond in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They say, what do we do? How do we respond? We are convicted by this, Peter. He says, repent, believe, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people become believers in Christ. And then at the end of chapter 2, it says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the beginning of the church. Thousands, hundreds, daily are coming to hear the gospel and are getting saved. So what do we see here? Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit. Seems like he's grown up a little bit, hasn't he? For those of you who have been around for the last couple of weeks, it seems like Peter is actually doing the right thing. He's taking charge. He's delivering truth. But what does Peter actually preach here? It's not overly academic, confusing. He's not trying to impress or show people how smart he was. Peter preached what he knew. Most of the sermon is just him quoting scripture. He lets the word of God do what it was made to do, stand on its own. The great Charles Spurgeon would say regularly to his people at the church he preached that the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Peter doesn't apologize. He doesn't try and soften scripture. He just lets, he points people. He reads scripture and he says, God said it. Deal with that. There's an importance with getting familiar with this book. It's why we're doing that two-year journey. It's why we're reading through Scripture. 
It's why when you come on a Sunday, regardless if it's me or somebody else preaching, sermons that come from this church come from Scripture. We either walk straight through a book or we do things like what we're doing with Peter, bouncing around in the Gospels. We're always going to pull sermons right from the text. It's why most, if almost all of our community groups find their grounding in Scripture. Whether they're studying different books or have different themes, they're coming back to Scripture every time because there is an importance in this book. This is God revealing himself to us. There is value here. There is life here. And not only did Peter quote a bunch of Scripture, but when he was talking, when he wasn't just quoting the prophets, what was he saying? He shared what he knew. He shared what he experienced. He shared facts about Jesus. Peter had no formal training. He wasn't really educated, but he knew truth. He knew the gospel, and he shared it with others. If you are a Christian this morning, you can do the same thing. You know truth. And you have more access to this book than Peter ever did. You have the same Holy Spirit working inside of you that Peter had working inside of him. And so here we see the early start of the church. We see Peter really just doing and saying what Jesus did and said. He's pointing people to God. And so Peter, we see, has clearly changed. He's clearly grown. The events that happened with him denying Jesus, seeing him crucified, seeing him resurrected, being restored by Jesus, we see that these things have changed Peter. And we're going to see more evidence of that. Skip over to chapter 4 of Acts. Chapter 4. So Peter is continuing to preach Jesus. He's continuing to preach the gospel. And he's performing miracles in the name of Jesus. People are hearing the good news. People are becoming followers of Jesus. And in chapter 3, what I had you skip over, he heals a man who had been crippled since birth. And he would sit by this gate. And everybody knew him. Everybody knew him because he sat there every day because he couldn't move much. He had to rely on other people to bring him to the gate in the morning and bring him home at night. And so everybody knew this man. And, Jesus, and Peter heals him in the name of Jesus. And that creates this huge uproar. And so Peter goes around and he's preaching about Jesus. And some of the leaders of the synagogue, you know, those same guys who hated Jesus, they got together and they arrest Peter. And so Peter gets brought before the high priest and some of those same authority figures who condemned, who condemned Jesus to death. And they ask Peter, how is it that you are performing this miracle? How did you heal this man who was crippled? And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if, they, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This same Peter, who just a month and a half ago sat around a fire with a bunch of servants and nobodies, denying his relationship with Jesus out of fear, now stands before the leaders of the synagogue, the same men who condemned Jesus to death, and he publicly, defiantly blames them for killing Jesus and proclaims the gospel. And the rulers are taken aback by his response. They don't know what to say. 
And they also realize that there's not a whole lot they can do in this situation because this man who had been crippled since birth is standing before them. They couldn't deny that a miracle had happened. They couldn't tell people this didn't really happen. So now they're kind of stuck. And they decide amongst themselves, they tell Peter and the disciples that they'll let him go because they can't arrest him for healing somebody. We'll let you go, but you're not allowed to preach about Jesus anymore. And they threaten them. They say, if you continue, then we will arrest you. And so how does Peter respond? Skip down to verse 19. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't stop talking about Jesus. Our relationship with him was life-changing. There's too much. I can't keep it in. They have to tell people about it. This is going to happen. And so Peter and John and the other disciples who were arrested, they returned back to the rest of the followers of Jesus, rest of the church. And they talk about what had happened. They talk about the healing, and they talk about being arrested and everything that happened. And I think even this conversation where they're sharing stories with people probably went a little different than it had in the past. Because I think in the past, I'm sure Peter was the butt of a lot of jokes, especially amongst the disciples, right? You wouldn't believe what Peter said to Jesus. Man, you should have seen Peter jump in the water with his coat on, and he's swimming as hard as he can, and we're just rowing the boat right by him. You wouldn't believe how Peter pulled out this sword and cut this guy's ear off. Who does that? Right? I'm sure Peter was the butt of a lot of jokes. But I think this time, things were different. I think this time it went more of something like, you should have heard our boy Peter preaching the word. You should have seen the boldness and the courage and the authority he had. Peter was amazing. It was impressive. And so after telling the other followers, what had happened, they get together and they pray. And look at what they pray for. Skip down to verse 29 of chapter 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They don't pray to be protected. They don't pray for the situation to go away. They pray that they would have the boldness to continue to preach and continue to do what God had called them to do. Do we pray like this? Because I think sometimes we're really quick to pray When things get hard and opposition arises, to pray for comfort or to pray for relief. To pray that God would change the situation and make it easier. To make it easier to be a Christian. But what if we started to pray, Lord, since you have called me, Lord, since you have called me to this job, since you have called me and put this person in my life, since you have given me these family members, since you've put me in this school, Lord, Give me the boldness in this situation. Give me the boldness to share my faith and to point people to Jesus. Because what if, in reality, that change in situation that you want could come from you? What if God put you at that job, in that school, with that person in your life, in that family, 
so that you could be the one to tell them that God loves them and knows them and made them and wants to have a relationship with them. Maybe instead of asking for us to get out of situations, we should be praying, as Peter does, for the boldness to do what God has called us to do. Be a light in this world. But man, we've seen so far, we've seen Peter. He is, he's preaching truth. He's sharing the gospel. He's standing up to authority figures. He's praying for boldness. He's leading the charge. He is looking more and more like the rock Jesus called him to be. We're going to close out with one more story of Peter. Skip over to chapter 10. I told you we're going to do a lot of scripture today. Chapter 10 of Acts. As you get there, chapter 10 introduces a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman soldier, a Roman guy. But it tells us he's also a believer in God. It tells us he's generous. He has a strong prayer life that his whole household has become Christians because of him. But it also says he's not Jewish, right? And we know throughout the Bible, throughout history, it's God and the Jewish people, God and the Israelites. That was the family of God. One day, Cornelius is praying, and an angel of the Lord comes to him. And the angel tells him, look, I, we have seen, God has seen your faith, your actions, your faith. It has been well received by God. And the angel tells him, I want you to send some of your men to Joppa. There's a man named Peter there. I want you to tell your men to go get Peter and bring him back to you. And so while that is happening, Peter is up on a rooftop about to pray. So skip over, you're going to go in chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up to heaven at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. But while Peter was pondering the vision of the Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter goes up and prays, and while he's praying, he gets distracted and he wants to eat. Anybody else been there? So while the food is cooking, it says Peter falls into a trance. This word is overcome with amazement. It's often how uh, people are described after one of seeing one of Jesus' miracles. I can't believe it. It's otherworldly. He's in a trance. He's in some kind of different headspace. I don't really know how else to explain it. And he sees this sheet come down full of animals and the voice of God, which Peter is well acquainted with, right? Remember at the transfiguration, the voice of God broke in and told Peter to stop talking. And the voice tells him, get up, kill something and eat it. Now Peter is in a trance. God has put him in this different mind space. He's, he's in a trance. He's got this vision from God happening. He hears the voice of God. And yet, verse 14 said, Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Even in this trance state, even getting this amazing vision from God, he's still Peter. He's still arguing with God. 
He still thinks he knows better. Which is much like many of us. Peter is saved. Peter is in ministry. He's doing great things. And yet there are still these moments where he thinks he knows better than God does. And sometimes by our actions, we do the same thing. We're communicating, God, you clearly don't know how things work in Chicago in 2017. So let me take the lead on this one. I got this. You just sit back. So once again, God has to break in and he tells Peter, don't tell me what's common and what's unclean. Peter, don't tell me the way things work. I made all things. So it says Peter was perplexed by the situation, which is understandable because, one, it's strange. A sheet with a bunch of animals came down and he had to kill and eat it. I think he did. I don't really know. Um, and two, I think Peter probably knew that this wasn't really about food. And if he didn't know, he's about to. Because it says the men show up that Cornelius had sent. And Peter goes with them to Cornelius' place. And when he gets there, he asks Cornelius, okay, so what am I doing here? Because he never got that answer from God. God just said, these men are coming to take you somewhere. Go with them. I sent them. And Peter tells Cornelius, on top of the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing here, it's unlawful for me, a Jewish person, to be in the house of you, a Roman soldier. I could get in a lot of trouble. I could be arrested for this. But he tells Cornelius, but... God showed me this vision of what's clean and unclean, and I think I got it wrong, so I'm here. Now Cornelius then tells Peter about his vision with the angel and how the angel had told him that God well received his life and his generosity, and the angel told him, send for Peter. So we have Cornelius gets a vision, send for Peter. Peter gets a vision, go with these guys who are sent. Neither guy really knows what's going on. But both have been faithful enough to trust that God does know what's going on. This is a beautiful example of how God is doing things all the time, all over the place, orchestrating things, orchestrating interactions, orchestrating situations for his glory. Neither guy knows what's going on, but God says do it, and they do it. And so we pick it up in verse 33. Cornelius is speaking, he says, So I sent for you at once. You have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You're here, Peter. What you got to tell us? Peter, just give us what have you been learning about Jesus. And so Peter preaches again. And he tells them about Jesus and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And there's a couple of verses that stick out in what Peter shares with them. Right at the top of verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then skip down to verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Some of those phrases stick out, huh? No partiality. Anyone who fears him and does what is right in the eyes of God, anyone who believes receives forgiveness. Peter tells them about the good news of what Christ had did, done on the cross. That his sacrifice wasn't just for Jewish believers, but for all people, every people. Anyone who believes finds forgiveness and grace is adopted as a child of God. And what happens next is a complete game changer even for us today, 
Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers who among the, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The Holy Spirit descends on Gentiles. Gentile is anyone who is not a Jewish person. For literally thousands of years, it had been God and the Israelites. God and the Jewish people. That was it. They were the ones set apart. They were the ones who were in the family of God. But now, because of Jesus, all are welcome. What Peter was just a part of has implications for us today because anyone here who is a Christian who isn't Jewish, because of what God did on the cross, it is because of men like Peter who preached and welcomed and taught that, that anyone and everyone is welcome into the family of God. Because of what Peter has done here, anyone here who is not a Jewish Christian, you have that experience, you have that, that has been opened to you because of Peter, people like Peter. He opened the door, he preached the gospel, he shared his faith with Gentiles, with those who were, his, his whole background tells him, stay away from them, don't even go into their house. But because of what Christ did on the cross, that's all changed. That's all gone, remember? God said, don't tell me what is clean and unclean, common and uncommon. What we see happening here is the family of God becomes diverse. So that regardless of gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic status or education, the gospel is for all people. God shows no partiality. There are no limits and restrictions on what the gospel, on what God can do, on who the gospel can change. Just a chapter before this in chapter 9, we see that God shows up to a man named Saul. Saul was studying to be a Pharisee, and he was determined to kill off these followers of, Christ, uh, followers of Jesus. And he's on his way to the city of Damascus with a letter in hand from the governor that says, let Paul do whatever he wants. Let him arrest and kill whoever he feels he needs to. And then Jesus shows up and changes his life and takes him from Saul, the Christian attacker, to Paul, the missionary and church planter. I think everybody here probably has somebody in their life who doesn't know Jesus. And we probably think for a lot of different reasons they would never believe. They would never listen. They would never actually become a Christian. They would never actually maybe come to church if I invited them. I'm pretty confident in saying there is no one more hardcore antagonistic toward God than Saul was. And yet God changed him. God called him to himself. I'll show you some stats. A couple of years ago, uh, LifeWay Research conducted a survey of 15,000 people and really was asking them. They got a whole variety of people, um, non-church people, and they asked them basically, what would make you want to get some information or go to church? What would be the thing that would actually make that happen? What they said was 56% of that 15,000 said they were very or somewhat willing to receive information about a local congregation or faith community from a friend or neighbor. So they would just have a conversation and hear about what your church was like if you're a friend or neighbor. That number goes up to 63%, same conversation, they would be willing to receive information from a family member. Then they asked them, 
uh, a different question about visiting church, and it says 63% of that 15,000 said that they would be willing to accept an invitation to visit a church from a friend or neighbor. And then lastly, 67% said that they would be willing to accept an invitation to visit a church from a family member. I want to challenge you this morning. Do not withhold the gospel. Do not withhold an invitation from someone in your life because you think they won't respond. Because the Holy Spirit is much bigger and much more powerful than you could ever dare dream. Don't put him in a box. Don't try and restrict him. I said at the beginning of this series, and I've said it throughout, that Peter is our everyman. And I know from talking with a lot of you as we've looked at Peter, that a lot of us have kind of come to the realization that, yeah, I got some Peter in me. I'm, I'm kind of like him. And even though we've seen over and over again, Peter's not perfect. He is a work in progress right up to the end. I mean, he's arguing with God while he's in a trance state. And actually, in the book of Galatians, Paul was writing to the church, and he tells them about an argument he had with Peter because Peter was being a little bit two-faced, and they had a dispute. Peter is not perfect. But that doesn't mean God couldn't use him. And it doesn't mean God can't use you. And so my prayer for us this morning is that it, we take some of the things that we've seen here, even this morning in the book of Acts, and use some of those characteristics of Peter in us moving forward. Because what do we see him do? He preached the gospel. He wasn't fancy. He didn't know all the answers. He just told people about what he experienced. He told people what he knew. Jesus was God. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus forgives sins. He shared his life. He shared what he experienced. Are you? It's why when we do baptisms here, whenever someone gets baptized, they share their testimony. They share their story because that's how we come to have relationships with people. You share your story. You tell somebody about how God has changed you, about what you were like and then what God did by sending Jesus to die on the cross and how he has changed you. You can speak into people's lives that people like me never can. Are you sharing your story with others? We saw Peter stand up to the authorities. He did not shrink away. Things were getting hard and he would not back down. Instead, he prayed for the boldness to continue. This world is daily attacking Christians. Over and over, it is showing us and reminding us that this world is full of evil. And unless Christ comes back tonight, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and we're not going to wake up to a peaceful society. So I encourage you, pray for boldness. Because he's not taking us out of the situation. It's not magically going to get better. So pray for boldness to continue. Pray for opportunity. And we saw Peter share the gospel with Gentiles, people that he would be arrested for even associating with. He did not withhold what he knew was life-changing truth. So who in your life do you just assume would never respond to an invitation? They would never respond to the truth of the gospel. God has opened the doors and made the church a diverse, beautiful, messy mosaic of people from all different walks of life. Don't limit what the Holy Spirit can do. Yes, we are all a little bit like Peter. But thank God that God uses people like Peter and like you and me to do amazing things, not for our glory, but for his. Let's pray.